What is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Money Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. Yeah, and I'm James. I'm dying, James. You are. I am. I am. I've got the man flu. Yeah, I have the man flu. I have the man flu. You best stay over that side of the uh, the table there. It's, it's a bit safer over there. I can't promise, however, that I'm going to projectile cough in your general direction. Because I'm, I'm being nice. I'm, I'm looking at you when I'm talking to you. But uh, Thanks. The downside is, is if I cough, it's coming straight your way. You could do with some time off work, though, right? Yes. Yeah, lifting the mic up, are we? <laughs> yes, you can't hide behind that mic, James. How have you been this week? I can try. <laughs> You can, you can. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been pretty busy, yeah. work. I understand you're working a lot extra at the moment. Yeah. Is, is there a particular reason for that? Games Expo. Uh, well, yeah, that is coming. It is coming, and uh, hopefully this weekend we're looking at getting some hotels booked. Yes, hence the overtime. Fingers crossed, yeah. Because <laughs> they've very nicely put their prices up this year, and not by a small amount. Mm. So, yeah, looking forward to that. But uh, that'll be your first expo, James. It will. So I want money. Yeah. Do you think you're going to end up buying quite a bit? No. No? No. No. What would you want the money for then? The hotel. Oh, I mean, that's in advance, though. It's still expensive. Yeah, you're going to be spending a lot of money while you're there. You know that, right? Mm. <laughs> no. The Games Workshop are there with 30k. Uh... Stop it. <laughs> We're potentially getting the train, Jason. I have to keep in the back of my head that whatever I buy needs to come back on the train. True, true. Yeah, so there's a good reason for us to not get the train so I can finally get you to put your hands in your pocket. So, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's going to be what we'll do. Even if I went to Expo on a mad spending spree, you'd still beat me to all the stalls. Oh, of course I would. Because you know the layout. I, well, I mean, hopefully they'll change it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, and I know exactly where the Games Workshop stall is, so I'll just divert off that way. It's like, oh, look, James. Oh, we've lost James. <laughs> right, cool. I can go and secretly spend some money somewhere else. <laughs> I can see you, ching, ching, ching. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me laugh, James. Laughing is not allowed today. Because <laughs> I will just cough my half a lung. <laughs> Games, James, games. games. What have we been playing this week? Unmatched. We have. We've played uh, Unmatched. We played the Jurassic Park Unmatched. Your first experience. We did. Of Unmatched and that particular game. So what did you think? It was fun. Initial initial thoughts. It was fun. Yeah, good. Played After the Empire again. We did. Um, this time we played it with the correct rules. Yes. Um, how did you find that in comparison to the game that we played a couple of weeks ago? Hard. It was a lot harder, wasn't it? <laughs> Although, Although I, I'm pleased to say I still one you did i, I thought, don't know how i thought I my walkthrough castle was an in, in, innovative <laughs> design and I, I will die on this hill it was a it was a pretty good drive through castle it I'll, was. I'll give you that um obviously ride through in the in those days but <laughs> i really enjoyed probably a lot more yes because there was a far more of a challenge in this one and as i said i'm not really sure how i won but apparently yeah. i did by one point uh, and you came second wasn't yes you? Yeah, yeah i am determined i know you did it in the first game where we weren't doing it playing the game correctly but we were playing this aspect of it correctly and then i did it in this game it's like the food mechanic might as well not be there because mercenaries yeah but there's only a limited amount of mercenaries in there and let's be honest now you obviously adopted that tactic yep throughout most of the game i didn't in 
this one. I adopted different tactics, but I did adopt it somewhat in the very last turn. Yep. And it did hit your strategy a fair bit. It didn't, really, because the only reason I lost my walls was because of the siege card. Yeah, yeah that's fair. My actual soldiers still managed. I never, I didn't get sacked once in that game. No. So my soldiers successfully defended the castle. It's just the fact that the siege, siege weapons took the walls out before yeah. the soldiers actually engaged. Yeah, I, I would say if more than one or two people are buying mercenaries, though, it does hit that strategy Oh, it does. A bit. It does, because obviously there's only a certain amount of slots, but yeah, no one else was doing it, so I was like, <laughs> five. I also had the card that made them cheaper. You did. That really did help. Um, and I think that's another thing with that game is remembering what your initial card draw was because yep. I went most of that game not using yeah, it I, and then realising how much it had hurt me. Yeah, it was the lo- I only realised, I think, in the last three rounds of combat that, oh, my mercenaries are actually cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Yeah, and my buildings would have been cheaper. So, yeah, I think uh, some serious uh, changes need to be made there and, and remember what those essentially... They're essentially character traits, aren't they, really, by having that as your initial card? Yes. So, yeah, expect us to talk about that a bit more in the future. But, James, we were going to do a game highlight episode this week, and then something happened. Something happened. Something did happen. They uh, they did the, I guess the unboxing is probably the best way to do it, of the new Star Wars Shatterpoint games from Atomic Mass Games. They did. I was, I've been excited for this game for a little while. Mm-hmm. I like Star Wars. I like miniatures games. I'm a huge fan of Marvel Crisis Protocol as well, which is their other game system that looks fairly similar. And they also announced the pre-order date and the, more importantly, the pre-order price. Now, let's just jump straight into it, James. $164 was what was announced for the core box. Yep. And then the additional squad boxes, which contain four miniatures, were $50. Now, I remember your reaction when I told you this, but for the lovely listeners that weren't there for that uh, probably not very family-friendly reaction, Mm -hmm. what is your current reaction that is a bit more family-friendly? Well... Okay, let's so put some context into this because, first of all, I asked the pragmatic question of what you're getting for your $164. Yes, um, so to to cover that, you're going to be getting 16 miniatures. Uh, however, one of the things that are classed as miniatures is i.e. it's a miniature base, but it's got three B1 battle droids on each of those bases. So 20 miniatures at a push, if you really want to argue it, and some scenery, obviously your core rules, your movement tools, your dice all of that kind of jazz that everything you need to get you set up in the game yep then i went on to uh, google and did a currency conversion so that i actually understood (laughs) effectively um because quoting the price in dollars means nothing to me yeah so it's about 133 wasn't it i think yeah it came out about 133 pounds yes Uh, and my reaction was that's expensive Mm. that's very expensive yeah for what you're getting so I think it, what it's essentially done has made us ask the question is, as someone who may be new to tabletop gaming, they may be, they like Star Wars and they're thinking about, and they see the miniatures and they go, oh, that actually looks pretty good. I'm going to buy into this, i.e. they're coming into the hobby and then they see the price. Is that price just too much? Is it is it off-putting to, uh, to newcomers and... 
I guess, is it off-putting to current players? Because I was geared up 100% to uh to buy into this game and i'm i'm sitting here like i'm not sure i can anymore Mm -hmm. so what do you think on that Uh, coming at it from an aspect of a newbie to the hobby a newbie i think it depends on a lot of things doesn't it really it's Ultimately, it depends on what your disposable income level is. I mean, that, that's that's an, that's a given. I think, yeah, yeah. It uh, and as to whether you think this is a grossly expensive or not, my my personal aspect is is coming from another miniatures game. Mm. And to me, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, is Atomic Math makes Games Workshop look reasonable. Yeah, it's it's hard not to. To compare to, to compare on that one because it, it's not the core box like the core box i i know me and you differ on it a little bit here but the core box has an element of value to it yes so my my thing is <coughs> more focusing on the the upgrade packs i.e the extra squads if you want them which you're going to want them if you're if you're buying into it for the the ip you're going to want there because what one of them's got general kenobi in it of course you're going to want that mm. so 50 dollars for a four-man squad now i get it skirmish game it's a one-time purchase they're not going to get anything else for it and it comes with your rule cards and stuff but we talk about games workshop who we have on this very show slated in the past for being too expensive yeah and from memory i'm pretty sure when we did that episode we were talking about the 10-man squads and they were Around fifty, fifty-five dollars. Yep, for a te- ten, ten miniatures. Yes, not four. So I mean, yep. So uh, as a comparison, the forty-k ten-man tactical squad is fifty-five dollars. The twenty-man thirty-k tactical squad is eighty dollars. Yeah, that that's that's a substantial difference. Yeah, really, in, in what you're getting within that game. And then, yeah, like I said, I get it. It's a skirmish game. They're only going to get that one purchase from you, whereas with 40k, it's, they might get two boxes out of you. I, I'm. St- it's just the amount of value in the box. Is what, I mean, right, we said, what, $163 was about £133. Mm. The Heresy starter box, which is the one I can't help compare it to, which was £180. So, all right, it's £50 more expensive. You've got 40 Marines, a character, 10 Terminators, a Dreadnought, and a whacking great tank. Mm, yeah. And a, what, 400-page hardback rule yeah. book yeah. Uh, with some, you know, that the, the amount of actual value in that box is ridiculous. Yeah. See, value-wise, it, it is good. I'm, I'm not going to deny you on that, but even still, like, I know that, you know, 30K isn't exactly marketed to new players, it's but not. it's still uh, someone looking at it and going, I want to get into 30K, but... £180 up front, that's that's a whacking great amount. Yeah. You know, most people's expendable income every month is not going to be, oh yeah, I can justify £180 just like that. Yep. You know, and it's, it's, it's the same with Chatterpoint. And to a degree, we're not only going to be talking about war games there, we yep. are going to talk about board games as well. I, I, would, I would also defend games workshop in that manner of the way they do their releases as well because you you normally get that big box is is the initial release then two weeks later you'll get 
the contents of that box in individual purchases. Mm. So it is down to you as to whether you want to spend that £180 mm. up front and get everything in one big box or buy all the bits individually, yeah. which will cost you a bit more, mm. but you have the option to then spread that cost yeah. over. And that is definitely something that I can personally vouch for with Atomic Mass Games is not an option. Yeah. Yeah, they don't tend to release what's in the core box separately. And even if they did, you can't buy the rules separately. Yeah. The rules are in the core box. Yes, you can buy the range rulers and the movement tools and stuff like that. But the the key component is, is the rule book. And that's only in the starter box. You could probably have a download of it somewhere. But, you know, as of yet, we don't seem to have that for Shatterpoint. But, you know... So, I mean, it's pretty obvious, and it's always been the case, the buy-in price for new gamers into wargaming has always been a little sort of, ugh, yeah, ouch. But, you know, now that we're a bit more versed into, like, board games... I'm sitting here and looking, is like, are board games that much better? Because there's more and more games that are coming out now that are in and around that £100 price mark. Yeah. And even higher. And we're not even talking about Kickstarter today because that's just a whole new level. You know, Kickstarter, for me, has normalised board games being such an expensive, you know, production. You know, and, and yeah, true enough, while we do talk about a lot of games on this show, like Acropolis, for example, in the £20 bracket, you know, and, and various other games that are in that sort of cheapy, cheapy range, they're not... like When someone looks at in, getting into board games, they don't go, oh, yeah, I want to get into board games because of Acropolis. They want to get into board games because they've seen someone playing Project Elite, or they've seen someone playing Ark Nova, or Scythe. You know, all these big, massive, table-sprawling behemoths with miniatures and, and all of that goodness. And it's like, oh, how, mu how much is that? Well, yeah, I mean, this one's going to set you back 80 to 90 quid. And then all of a sudden, that big smile on the face turns to a bit of a frown going, oh, well, you know, people always told me that board gaming was cheaper. So the question overall, James, is, is our entire hobby too expensive? Is it too off-putting to new blood? Um, I still come down ultimately on the side of no, mm -hmm. because all hobbies have an expensive buy-in. I, that I think I would agree with. Yeah. As, as I think we've talked about before. Yeah. You know, your golf, your golf clubs or your golf bats or whatever you want to call them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, or Whatever your chosen yeah. chosen hobby is, the startup is usually the most expensive bit of it. Mm, yeah. I was uh, working out some prices earlier, to be honest. Um, and I, I was sort of thinking, I was like, okay, so we've got a, a quite a nice cinema in Crawley. Um, and while this doesn't affect us personally, because we, we both have unlimited mm. cards for a set amount per month. If we didn't have that, James, the cost to go and see a movie now without all the fancy upgraded screens and, and all of that, the base ticket price is about £15 per person. So a family of four going to the cinema, you're looking at somewhere between 40 and £60 without food, Yep. Without, you know, that it's not including IMAX screens, it's not including 3D, none of that, none of the gimmicks, just a base 2D yep. movie in a in a box standard screen. I mean, damn. Yep. And you know, that's not even a hobby really, I'm, is it? I was just to go like going back to the actual board game side of the hobby as well. There is an argument to be made that you don't actually have to buy a single thing. You don't have to part with a single penny. Mm. If you're lucky enough to have a gaming club nearby you, yeah. You go down, you befriend some board gamers, odds are 
one of them's got, like you, an extensive library. Correct. Yeah, I would definitely say that. But it's more on those lines of there's a particular game you see. Yeah. Like, for example, we'll use you as an example, Nemesis. Yeah. Now, all right. I probably would have ended up with that game if you hadn't have got it. Let's be honest now. But you didn't have someone like me. Yep. And there was no one else in your group that was into spending that kind of money. Yep. You know, that, that game is it's expensive. It is. It's, it's off-putting, you know. And, and there's a lot of risk that comes into that. It's not like, you know, if you, if you wanted to watch a movie, for example. All right, not a brand new movie in the cinema, but if you're buying, you know, instead of buying a DVD, you could... Back in the day of Blockbuster, for example, you could rent it. And if you liked it, you'd go and buy it. Same with games, you know, and stuff like that. You could never do that with a board game or war game. It's just, no, you're you're paying this, whether yeah. you like it or not. And then if you don't like it, that investment, is it's not paid off. Yeah. And you've essentially had a very large payment that you're now not going to get any value from whatsoever. Yep. I, I think this one of the reasons why a certain miniature company that we have mentioned several times already is where it is because all of their stores basically function as quote unquote recruitment centers mm. where you can try the game yeah. before you splash cash on it. Yeah. So I mean taking aside things like gaming conventions and that because you you know that Star Wars Shatterpoint for example is going to be demoed at the various gaming cons before it comes out. So there is going to be a chance to play it but not for newbies because newbies aren't going to go to a gaming convention yep. because they maybe they don't know about it yet. So yeah as for me if I'm sitting on the outside as a brand new newbie to the whole the potential of the hobby and i'm sitting there going i, I just can't afford this like it's, it's too much it's too much up front there's no real way for me to even test to see if i like what i want to play except one and i said this to you before we before we started and it, it pains me to admit it being that it's a wizards of the coast product but for me the only game that's currently available for tabletop that actually doesn't have a huge wall to scale to get into the hobby is D&D. Yep. Now, uh, as someone who doesn't play it, it's it's really hard for me to admit that because yes, you could go and buy the books. Yes, you could go and buy the miniatures. Or you could spend nothing at all, find yourself a, a good D&D group, and just join in. There's there's no financial investment there. Yep. And it's still the hobby. It's still oh, tabletop gaming. You need some dice. You would, <laughs> but let's be honest. If you're joining a D&D group, the likelihood is someone's got some dice they can lend you. If you're trying it out. You know, one shots. They're usually, you, you'll usually have dice provided to you somewhere would you i mean would you say there's anything else that even compares to dnd no but the that's the beauty of a game that is 90 percent your imagination yeah agreed so other other than dnd my, my mindset really is our hobby is not as welcoming as i feel it should be it's the i i remember having this conversation actually quite a while back with a friend of mine talking about warhammer was it very much seems to me like they captured that original market or that original set of people when they when they first started back in the 80s and they're still targeting that same group as yeah. they've got older and older got jobs and suddenly become yeah. have disposable income it's like they're they're still targeting them and forgetting about recruiting people in yeah sort of that sort of deal and you know with the board game side of things yeah those, those, those mega boxes like scythe arc nova nemesis they're not targeted at newbies they're targeted at experienced players mm. same with kickstarter most of that is 
aimed at you effectively yeah. yeah yeah no i would agree with that completely and i had a discussion with someone the other day about all of this and they turn around and say, oh yeah but things like trading card games they're they're cheap enough to get into and i respectfully disagree i do not think that yes you can go and buy pokemon starter set and they'll be pretty good until you want to play with someone who's been playing it for more than a week. Yep. You know, because the second you're putting a starter deck up against anything other than a starter deck, you're going to get decimated. You know, and it, it, it's all business at the end of the day. They do that because then, oh, oh now you're going to buy the expansion packs. Oh, now you're going to buy a different starter set. Now you're going to buy this. Now you're going to buy that. And suddenly, that initial investment, while, yes, it only costs you, you know, £15 to, to buy an actual starter deck and get into the game... It's not, because I still think until you have got a competitive deck that you can play and at least stand half a chance of winning, that is where my initial investment cuts off, because I'm not going to enjoy anything if I'm just going to get spanked every single time I play a game with, with my starter deck or my advanced starter deck or whatever you want to call it. And then it makes me think back as like, is it a cheap hobby and, and stuff like that? Even doing trading card games, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon. We used to play Star Wars Destiny religiously. I used to play Light Seekers. Three release, three to four releases per year of booster boxes that you had to then spend if you wanted a full playable set. You were spending four to six hundred pounds on booster boxes, which then the majority of it you were just yep. either giving away or trying to resell because you all you wanted was a full playable set. That's that's again that's that's not welcoming to new people. Nope. You know, and and anyone that even asks if you're if you're anything other than honest with them when they turn and say you know what what's the hobby like you know is it good you know if you don't let them know in advance it's like well, it is good but this deck that you've built here in three months time is essentially going to be useless yeah or nowhere near competitive enough so you're then gonna to have to buy even more stuff There's, well to be honest mate, that's one of the things that puts me off tcgs yeah that you spend all that money getting that set and then it's useless yeah you know we're, we're both very very biased on that so i'll make that abundantly clear yeah we we do not like the tcg model no just trying to be unbiased and sitting on the outside it is not as welcoming and as not as affordable to buy into as it would seem when you go to your local supermarket and buy a pokemon deck for 15 to 20 pounds D is the only game i can see where i can safely say to someone who wants to get involved in our hobby but doesn't want to spend either any money or very little money it's like role play that's pretty much your your go-to if you if you don't want to invest a substantial amount of money into our games games workshop james yep i, I can't avoid it i can't avoid it they have recently announced a new game system can, what's it called again oh boarding actions boarding actions boarding actions james new is, is this a new it's a new game isn't it i don't i haven't actually seen that much of it because i'm not into the 40k side of things really so mm. i don't really keep up with the news you probably know more about okay. it than i do so as far as i'm aware it is a new game it's not one of their board games so it's definitely not that so we're not talking necromunda or something like that when i first saw it i thought it was a new version of kill team but as it turns out they've just announced a 
new version of Kill Team as well. But look past that because I haven't looked into that fully yet. But yeah, boarding actions. Yep. I have a real, real issue with this, James. Do share. I, I was I was all geared up for this episode to be more slating of atomic mass. Mm-hmm. But then Games Workshop just had to come along at the wrong point and announce boarding actions because, James, it's not just buying a box to get into this game, you know, because that, that box is going to be about £140, something like that. No, because if you buy that box, which has all those lovely miniatures in it, you essentially can't play the game because the game requires what is ultimately being billed as proprietary scenery, which, ironically, they happen to sell, uh, and a dedicated game board size which surprise surprise they happen to sell mm-hmm. and the scenery box that you require for this game require for this game james is 210 dollars oh, games workshop why do you do this so i spent the first half of this podcast defending you damn it yeah that, Although I do, I, I just want to get the sneaky di- uh, dig in there that it's, oh, it's proprietary scenery, is it, Jason? Yeah. Let's be honest. Once the game comes out and and all the specifics of it are actually revealed, then let's be honest. Third party makers will be on there quicker than well, yeah, quicker than a rash can spread. Yeah. That's not everything. Two hundred and ten pounds. Two hundred. Sorry. Two hundred and ten dollars does not get you into the game. That's just the scenery. Uh huh. Then, then you have to have the normal forty k rulebook. So, yeah, I can't remember what that is in dollars, but around the 40, 45 pound mark. Yep. Then you have to have the factions codex. Then you've got to have the factions codex that for the faction that you're going to be playing. And then and only then, James, can you then go and buy the box with the miniatures in that you want to play. So before you've even got your miniatures, you're already in it for 300, you know, in the region of $300. I mean... Do you know the, the actual bit that annoys me the most about that? Go on. The codex. Right. Because if it is... Uh, what, what's the size of the board? Um, I can't remember what it is, but I know like Shatterpoint, for example, is going to be a 3x3 three three board. Yeah. This one is smaller. It's something in the region of like two foot by three foot. Two foot I by think, three. Something so you like have that. to buy a faction codex, 90% of which will be useless. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It's arguably not aimed at new players. However, this is the company that is desperately trying to get new players. And if I go into a Games Workshop store and I don't know what I'm talking about, am I going to be sold a game or a game box that has all those miniatures in it that I can then not use? Because I've then got to go back in and spend another multiple hundreds in order to get the other stuff that I need. Mm. You know, like I said, I, I really wanted to highlight how expensive Atomic Mass was. And then just days later, Games Workshop just come out with, with this thing and, and they don't make a point of telling you that you need that scenery mm. but make it abundantly clear that you do need that scenery because the whole game is based indoors yep and that certain height restrictions are going to be involved certain door restrictions are going to be involved is like oh well as it happens we've also made this scenery which happens to meet all of those specifications it's like, that is basically like saying you can only use this scenery and yeah, we all know that MDF scenery is going to come out. We all know that 3D printed stuff is going to come out. But just looking at someone who only knows of Games Workshop, only goes into the store, they're not going to buy it. It's too much. Yeah, that, that's ridiculous. I want to try and defend some of these companies, James. Don't. I tried doing that in the first half of this podcast, <laughs> and now you make me feel bad for it. 
I, I still think that heresy is the anomaly. Like, it, like, it, like, it, like it there's does some, make you wonder. There, there's some small corner of uh, Games Workshop somewhere where someone is hiding. You know what? We're not going to screw over the fan, but uh, you know, <laughs> the, the customers, quick, get this out before someone notices. Do, do you reckon that's because Games Workshop have forgotten that it's now theirs it and might, not, not Forge Worlds anymore? <laughs> yeah, but that, that theory doesn't work because if it was Forge Worlds, it would be... Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, this is very true. <laughs> I, I am going to try and defend people, James, because 10, 15 years ago, you know, things were cheaper. That much is obvious. Inflation happens. Yes. And that's where I think a lot of this may have come from, because just last year, 2022, yeah. inflation went up by 10%. You can defend some companies on that, not the <clears throat> Games Workshop, though, because they're, <laughs> they're, they're, their prices are well well above inflation i i would i would have to agree with that uh and we've discussed and they that have length. been year after year after year there's no way that their price increases are keeping step with inflation way above it yeah I, I mean that's the only thing i can see really as to why things might be more expensive this year but is that really representative of that 10 percent inflation increase like Let's t- let's go back to Atomic Mass Games and Shatterpoint because the Marvel Crisis Protocol starter set is still ninety nine pounds and ninety nine pence. Yeah, and yet the Star Wars Shatterpoint one, which is arguably pretty much the same game with a few changes. Yep, same amount of miniatures, same amount of scenery, is roughly translated translated into one hundred thirty three pounds. Mm-hmm. So let's thir- say thirty five pounds more expensive. I'm not sure I understand that calculation. Mm-hmm. There's some calculations that, until we know more information, just don't add up. But the question still stands, James. This hobby is it too exp- too expensive to get new people in? I think it's difficult to get new people in. I still don't think it's crossed that mark where it is impossible. Mm. Really, the reason we're asking this is we're at a time right now where everything's tight. We are still in this financial crisis around the world, and yet they're putting their prices up. People are getting less money. Just the other day, James, we had the biggest walkout in history mm-hmm. in the UK, and that really says something considering how bad this country used to be. Yep. Because And it's all overpaid. People just can't afford to live at the moment. And yet these hobbies, which are, let's be honest, our only getaway from real life, you know, it's our escape from real life, is becoming more and more hard to obtain. Yeah. Do you... I'll, I'll make this one of my last my last questions to you. Do you feel like hobby companies... And this is all hobbies. Do you feel like they have a responsibility to actually provide that kind of enjoyment to to people at more reasonable prices? I know that's a very hard question. That is a very hard question. Uh, Actually, I don't think it is a very hard question, and I might surprise you with the answer. Okay. No, I don't think they're obliged to do that. Okay. I think they make the mistake, and then it's not just hobby companies. I think a lot of companies make the mistake of thinking that that it's the rich that keep them going. Mm. And I disagree with that mindset. It's regular Joe spending his bit because there's a hell of a lot more regular Joes than there are. When when we talk about the rich, it's called the top 1% for a reason. There aren't that many of them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's like most of these places are kept alive by regular Joe. He might not be putting in thousands of pounds. He might only be putting in... 10 or 20, but he might, he's going to put that 10 or 20 in yeah. regularly. Yeah, like you said, you, your top 1% man might be putting in £1,000 a month, yep. but regular Joe puts in £100 a month, and there's 10 regular Joes yeah. to every 
every top one percent. Yep. Uh, arguably, I'd say there's twenty regular Joes. Yeah, there's a, it's a lot more than that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like try a hundred regular Joes to yeah. one. Yeah. Thing. It's it's average Joe. I think there's a lot, so many things where that is that is the case, and they don't. The companies just seem to get it into their mind, though. It's like no, no, he, Mister One Percent Man, is is the target. Mm. Yeah. It's like Mister One Percent Man likes to shop in exclusive shops. Or One Percent Woman, you know, equal opportunities, but they shop in ex- exclusive shops. They like having things that mm. regular Joe doesn't have. You know, it's a it's going back. You know, this is a very UK centric thing, but the high street. Yep. Why is the high street dying? Because regular Joe doesn't shop there anymore. It's like, it's not that, it's not that, you know, the rich guys stopped going there. You could argue they never went there. Yeah. You know, Ferrari and Prada aren't on the high street. True. Very, very true indeed. So yeah, James, I mean, in, in summary here, I think we do differ a little bit on this. Your opinion really on whether the hobby is, is too expensive uh, as a whole seems to be, it's not, but it is. Whereas for me, I know I'm solidly in the camp of this hobby is too expensive. It's not very welcoming in the sense of monetary investment. Um, And I think even for people that are already still in the game, you know, into the games, just on the board game front, people deem 60 to 80 pounds for a game as the absolute limit. And yet we're seeing the percentage of games above that 80 pound bracket and well into the towards the 200 bracket now is increasing and the games below the 60 pound bracket are decreasing yeah that i feel is a trend that needs to change quickly it goes back to what we were talking about in the episode about kickstarter being you know deluxified components yeah we all love them but i think it might be time yeah to start having the options of not quite so many deluxified components with a much more competitive price that's more welcoming to new people indeed uh my closing thing is going to be after looking at prices from around the world i'm glad i'm not australian yes yeah for, so yeah for for context shatterpoint yep 164 dollars in the us we worked it out to be about 133 pounds in the uk i found out today just about an hour or so before we went live recording 294 dollars for the core box alone yep. uh, do you know what australians guys you guys have my sympathy yep. and respect i mean I, i've known about this for a while because i've seen the multitude of videos about how expensive expensive um games workshop products are in australia it's like oh yeah i i feel for you guys i am Uh, amazed there is any form of tabletop hobby over there down that isn't indigenous yeah effectively yeah exactly but talking about not being very welcoming to the hobby in regards to price james should we hand over to the newsman who's going to tell me how to spend more money let's do it (laughs) over to you paul What are you doing? Why on earth are you packing? Moving? Who said anything about moving? Me? I can pretty much guarantee you, young man, I said nothing of the sort. Oh, I see. Nope, you got the wrong end of the stick there, chap. I didn't mean as in you and I moving, I meant the show is... Oops. May have said too much there. We'll leave that for the boss to tell everyone, methinks. I'll tell you later. Well, just pretend I haven't said anything. Exactly. This conversation never happened. What were we doing? 
Oh yeah, the news. Hit it. Usually when board game publishers want to do playtesting, they will select a few small, reliable groups and either send them prototype components or arrange to have them play online, such as on Tabletop Simulator. However, Old Rack Entertainment Group, or AEG to most of you, has decided to go public with playtesting for the newest expansion for the family-friendly dice-rolling adventure that is Space Base. The expansion up for playtesting is going under the working title of Genesis. In a forum posting on Board Game Geek, John D. Clare, the designer of Space Base, Mystic Veil and Ready Set Bet has provided a downloadable PDF file that contains the rules for the expansion, as well as artless versions of the new cards. John D. Clare has asked that everyone who does take him up on playtesting this expansion please leave feedback in the forum thread. Of note, he's particularly asking players to make sure proportions of money, income or points hasn't gotten too far off track, and to identify and fix any boring, confusing, overpowered or underpowered new cards. Genesis is designed to be a simple expansion that can be used by both new and experienced players. While there are a few new actions, they work similarly to the ones in the base game in order to cut down complexity. The cards are shuffled into their respective decks and there is no saga experience like there was in the previous two expansions, the emergence of Shy Pluto and the mysteries of Terra Proxima. In 2019, Fun Again Logistics and Distribution was created when Fun Again Fulfillment bought and merged with both Ship Naked and Hit Point Sales. At the time, the idea was to expand Fun Again's campaign logistics service and allow them to have a greater global fulfillment capabilities. On January 16th, the company announced on their Twitter page that they will be ceasing operations as of April the 30th, 2023, and will no longer be offering any fulfillment, storage, or distribution services. The decision was made due to the increasing costs of operational costs, preventing the company from moving forwards as it wanted to. Fun Again will continue to process all pending projects that are in the warehouse and web store orders until March the 3rd, 2023, after which they will stop all fulfillments and shift their employees' focus to shutting down their warehouse. It is important to note that while the logistics and distribution portion of Fun Again is ceasing operations, the remaining Fun Again divisions, the website, brick and mortar stores and game business will remain operational. The 2014 Kennespiel winner, Istanbul, is being revisited this year in a new version, Istanbul Choose and Write. Like many award winners, Istanbul already received its own dice version back in 2017, with Rudiger Dawn returning with his card-based flip and write game. Each player will have a bazaar in front of them, and each of the shops can only be visited a certain number of times throughout the game. Players will play cards in order to take actions on shops adjacent to their player piece, or they can take a card to take unique actions available only to them. As in its big brother, players are ultimately trying to exchange resources and actions for rubies. Istanbul, Choose and Write is slated for a release sometime this year from Bekashish Spiel, engaging 1-5 to five players in around 30-45 to 45 minutes. 
Stonemaier Games have already brought us expansions to its 1920s dieselpunk adventure scythe, but what fans really want is a sequel. Well, your prayers have been answered, and you really won't have to wait too long either as we return to war-torn 1920s Europa. Scythe Expeditions sees Mr. Stagmeyer back as designer and artist Jakob Rolowski's unique artwork continue the aesthetics. While investigating a crashed meteor near the Tunguska River in Siberia, you've accidentally awoken an ancient corruption. An expedition led by Dr. Tarkovsky ventures into the taiga to learn more about the meteorite and its impact on the land. Itching for adventure, heroes from the war privately fund their own expeditions to Siberia, hoping to find artefacts, overcome challenges and ultimately achieve glory. Expeditions is a competitive, car-driven, engine-building game of exploration. Play cards to gain power, guile and unique worker abilities. Move your mech to mysterious locations and gain cards found among the tiles. Use workers, items, meteorites and quests to enhance your mech and use power and guile to vanquish corruption. On their turn, players will move their action token to cover one of the three possible actions. Move, play or gather and then execute the remaining uncovered actions. Or you can take the refresh action in order to regain all the cards you have previously played. You play cards to gain the benefit at the top of the card, but if you place a specific worker on the card, you also get the special action listed on it as well. Like Scythe, players will be competing to be the first to place four glory tokens on a board of seven different categories. Once a player places their fourth token, each player gets one final turn before endgame scoring occurs and the player with the most points is the winner. Expeditions supports 1-5 to five players, aged 14 and over, with an estimated playtime of between 60 and 90 minutes. You can pre-order the game at Stonemaier Games web store until February the 15th. Pre-orders are estimated to be fulfilled in July, with August seeing both a Gen Con release followed by a retail store release. As if getting Scythe Expeditions ready for release this year isn't enough, another title from the Stonemaier camp sees a release this first quarter. Dubbed the third and final expansion, Fantasies and Futures is the next release for Chris Scafaldi and Mike Young's strategy civ builder, Tapestry. The expansion gives players the opportunity to build civilizations using fantasy and sci-fi inspired civilizations, technology, tapestries and cities, which may include delving into parallel universes. Tapestry, Fantasies and Futures contains 10 new civilizations, 38 new tapestry cards, 12 new tech cards and a comprehensive rulebook that organises all rules for tapestry and the three expansions into one volume. Some of the new tapestry cards include a new charm mechanism that provides one-time bonuses while other tapestry and tech cards include exciting payoffs reserved for the final income turn. Fantasies and Futures is fully compatible with any combination of the core game, the other tapestry expansions and the natural rubber playmat. And it comes packaged in an eco-friendly recyclable envelope. Game fans from Down Under can rejoice as a partnership between Funko Games, Big Wheel Toys and Let's Play Games in order to bring their products to Australia and New Zealand. That's right, the entire roster of Funko Games collection of Funkoverse titles and expansions and 
What were we calling them? Oh yeah, expander loans will finally be hitting your shores. A statement released said these partnerships are the latest moves for Funko Games as it continues to grow its worldwide presence and connect more families and fans through immersive board game experiences. It's not often that a roll and write version of a game is released at the same time as the board game itself, but that's exactly what's happening with Woodcraft as we see the imaginatively titled Woodcraft Roll and Write Hit Our Tables. Designed by Ross Arnold and Vladimir Sushi and published by Delicious Games, Woodcraft Roll and Write sees players owning their own woodworking shop. At the beginning of each round, three yellow and three brown dice will be rolled. Both dice represent available wood and the yellow dice being of lesser quality than the brown. Players will then choose a die in order to gain resources, then compete as many free actions as they want, in any order they want. This includes using resources to manipulate the die values, hiring helpers to get additional abilities and completing orders. Each player gets two turns per round and after the sixth round the game is over. Players score any victory points gained during play, points for their helpers, reputation gained from completing orders, marked off crates and lanterns gained. The player with the most points is the winner. Woodcraft Roll and Write will support 1-5 to five players with an estimated time of around 30-40 to 40 minutes. Oh, and did I forget to mention, and I probably should, is that you can, indeed, download this game for free from the Delicious Games website. That's right, free games. And that's from the Woodcraft product page over at deliciousgames.org. All one word, deliciousgames.org. And here's our main news story this week. And I know we heard from Jason and James last week on the highs and lows of crowdfunding. I mean, I've personally, out of the close to 100 pledges, have only ever had one fail to deliver, which going by the odds is uh, pretty good. But as we all know it, it is, in the long run, a risk. But what happens when a company, known for successful campaigns, goes and screws over their staff that they've employed while still attempting to fund a project on the platform? The UK board game studio behind crowdfunding success stories Subterra and Alba has been accused by formula employees of unpaid wages, missing pensions and redundancy pay with the criticism aired via the company's very own Kickstarter account. Serves them right for not changing the password quick enough, doesn't it? Inside the box, Board Games is best known for Subterra. It's cooperative cave-crawling board game that crowdfunded over £368,000 from more than 6,600 backers in early 2017. A sequel, Subterra 2 Inferno's Edge, raised almost 292000 from 3,500 backers in early 2021. With those aside, Inside the Box's most backed project to date is Alba, an ambitious open-world adventure gamebook that was funded by over 10,000 supporters in February 2021, raising close to £273,000. In total, Inside the Box's eight successful Kickstarter projects, which also include dystopian deduction game Newspeak and a political card game Statecraft, have raised over £1.1 million to date. 
both Subterra 2 and Alba are yet to see copies sent to Kickstarter backers, joining two other projects that are reportedly yet to be delivered. Underwater worker placement board game Aquanauts, funded in April 2020, and story-driven puzzle game Crypt X, funded in July 2019. However, in a January 28th update, Inside the Box CEO Peter Blankhan wrote that progress has been made on shipping and fulfilment, saying that more information would follow by the end of February. Inside the Box's own account was seemingly accessed by a disgruntled former employee later that same day to direct a message at Blankhan, claiming that staff were owed thousands in unpaid wages, pensions and redundancy. In a separate update, post entitled Pay Your Ex-Employees Peter, posted to the Alba, Subterra 2 and CryptX Kickstarter pages, inside the box's Kickstarter creator account wrote, Peter still owes his employees wages, missing pension and redundancies. In the comments section for the campaigns, the company account posted a follow-up message claiming to be from a former employee. Ex-employee here? He still owes us money for pensions, wages and redundancy. We're all out of thousands. He's completely refused to communicate with us. He shouldn't be allowed near another business. He'll probably change his password soon, but please spread the word about this disaster. I feel for everyone here. Peter, grow some balls, you're a mess. And as of Sunday, 5th of February, posts and comments remain live on the Kickstarter pages, and from the look of things, they're continuing to grow. Well, with that being said, we are going to go and slide ever so gingerly over into this week's uh, crowdfunding project, but this time we're heading for GameFound for a change. We knew it was coming, it's already funded by over a thousand percent, and if its spiritual predecessor, Dwellings of Eldervale, has anything to go by, we are in for a treat. Behold, Andromeda's Edge, designed by Dwellings designer Luke Laurie along with Maximus Laurie, Artwork by returning Sergio Chaves and being published by Cardboard Alchemy and Lucky Duck Games. The game is for 1-5 to five players, running approximately 40 minutes per player and looking at a 14 and over age range. Andromeda's Edge is a dazzling, uncharted region of space on the edge of the Andromeda Galaxy. Littered with the modular debris of the Precursor Civilization, patrolled by malicious extragalactic raiders and bordered by a dense nebulae. The Edge is a last resort for the brave and foolhardy who seek a new life beyond the oppressive reach of the Lords of Unity. In this game you lead a desperate faction, seeking to build new civilizations on Andromeda's Edge. You begin with only a space station, a few ships and a handful of resources. By carefully placing your ships you will gather resources, claim moons, acquire modules to add to your station, populate planets and build developments on them. You will battle opponents and compete with others to ascend the progress tracks, science, industry, commerce, civilization and supremacy. So on your turn you either launch a starship or return your ships to the station. Launching sends one of those starships to a region of Andromeda, either collecting resources from planetary systems or taking actions at Alliance bases. If the region is occupied by your opponents or fearsome raiders, face off in a dice battle. 
with supremacy on the line, but where the strategic manipulation can turn a loss into a reward. Returning to your station, however, allows you to activate your engine, using your modules you've acquired to generate energy, gain resources, and carry out additional actions. Throughout the game, you will build up your unique faction, building developments, observatories, factories, spaceports, cities, and obelisks, and gaining station modules, which move you up the progress tracks. Advancement on the tracks is rewarded both during mid-game events and at the conclusion, and is the key to victory. The project has three main pledge levels as well as a retailer pledge. First up is the Standard Edition, coming in at around £56, which gets you the main game, the Escalation Expansion, access to selected add-ons included in the bigger pledges, and applicable stretch goals. Next up is the Deluxe Pledge, coming in at around £105, which gets you the Deluxe version of the game, replacing standees with plastic miniatures, you get game trays insert as long with player trays, as well as stretch goals, expansion and add-ons access. Or you can go all in for around £155. This gets you the deluxe version of the game, as described, but now includes all add-ons available, which include additional factions, card sleeves, dice trays, dice, component upgrades, additional expansion, and a drinks coaster, together with priority shipping thrown in so you get your games ahead of the pack when it fulfills in June 2024. The project is live now and ends on the 23rd of February 2023. Brian, before I inform you as to what's happening, we have to say goodbye to everyone, okay? All will be explained, but for now, just say goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe, meeples. Keep those dice rolling. The card's shuffling, and we'll be right back here for you at some point next week. Okay, okay, I'll tell you now. Let's just turn the recording software off first, okay? Thank you very much, Apple, and thank you guys for joining us once again for another rather impromptu topical discussion. James, how did this one go? Yeah, it went all right. It was, it's tough. <laughs> I find these ones tough. I really do. I hate doing impromptu ones because it usually means that I'm angry about something yes. and I need to rage. Rage. Um, but it, it, I, th I think this is something that does need to change. We need to get that trend of getting this hobby more accessible to more people yeah and yeah people just can't afford that kind of money it is i mean it's it's also the semantic question i suppose isn't it of is the hobby too expensive or are external factors making it more mm. expensive I, I, I know that sounds like a silly thing to say but yeah it are, are external factors making that entry point harder yeah yeah i mean this, this is it's contrary to what i've just been saying actually but when it when it comes to you know buying board games or buying war games or whatever it be is that if you can't afford it don't buy it this that's, that's the long and short of it. if you can't afford it don't buy it you know it doesn't work so well with war games but as you said earlier board game wise there is usually ways that you can you can find games and you, you can play games at either totally free or at very minimal cost it does you know <laughs> 
as nice as it is to own these things, you don't have to own them. Yes. War games, yeah, I fully appreciate. You want to play a war game, you kind of need. Y- you might get lucky and find someone who's got more than one army that's willing to like lend it to you, but that's not going to be a permanent thing. No, exactly. Um, you can try the secondhand market. Obviously, that doesn't work with brand new game systems like we've been talking about today with Star Wars Shatterpoint and boarding actions. actions. But, you know, 40k has been around for donkey's years. There are a multitude of people that sell on their armies. They may not be the best, but it's a cheaper way of getting into the hobby. Yep. Because if you can get your base stuff, it's far easier to then spend little and often by buying a, a unit every yeah. month. It, it's that thing. It, it depends on how, you know, a, an established war game, um, obviously the Games Workshop products are the easiest ones with that, but other war games are like that, use the same model, where it is, depending on how quickly you want, it's, it's we've done episodes on it before, it's that it's also not letting FOMO yeah. take hold. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, buy a component, a unit or a book per month. Yeah. You know, you don't have to go immediately all in on that shiny 200 pound box. Yeah. And I'm probably the worst person to say these words, but living within your means is vitally important. Yes. You know, hobbies are great and really do help with, you know, your mental health and taking you out of of real life, as we said. But don't do it where it's actually going to affect your real life. You know, and as I said, I am the worst person and I hold my hands up to it. I spend way too much money on on this hobby to the point that I get two weeks away from payday and I'm looking at my bank account and going, ah, I need food, I need fuel, and I've got to make a choice between the two. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I am genuinely one of the worst. But if anything, just learn from idiots like me and actually listen and say, yeah, don't buy these things if you cannot physically afford them. There are ways to get into this hobby without investing that money. As I said, pains me to admit it because I'm not a D&D fan, but D&D is a great way to get into tabletop gaming. Why not do a campaign and then save? Save money to then buy something else. Yep. That there, there are a multitude of options, but there you go. Financial advice from the meeple minded. Yeah. Who'd have thought it? I know. I mean, I, <laughs> I've got uh, I've got a lot better with that. You know, there was a time where it's like I would have impulse bought an entire 3000 point army for for a warhammer faction without even breaking a sweat and then going i I miss these times james yes i do i am a lot better now and going no i bought the core box i'm going to paint the core box i I have a feeling that my board game collection wouldn't be anywhere near as big if you still had that addiction no it wouldn't (laughs) because you would have bought a lot of these games as well yep you know, which would have saved me having to buy them. I have got it under control. Yes, I I, I don't think I'll ever get mine under control. <laughs> Especially when you've got a partner going, oh yeah, that's not too bad. <sighs> You're supposed to dissuade me, not feed the habit. <laughs> it is it is a habit. Yep. Unfortunately. But that's a, at the end of the day, that's like, it's like I have great fun in, in poking your addiction now because it's like the amount of times you turn around to me, Jason, and go, talk me out of this. And I just go, you're talking to the wrong person, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great friend yeah. you are, James. Talk me out of this. Don't do it. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. There we go. Anyway, I, I'm going to need to go, mate, because I'm feeling that like I'm going to have a coughing fit again. Um, you wouldn't even want to know how many times we've had to pause this recording. Yep. <laughs> but yes, on those notes, 
Till next week, I have been Jason. And I've been James. And you have been listening to the Meeple Miley podcast. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Ta-ta. Goodbye. Goodbye.